This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash freelancership. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 172 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. You want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. Uh, so I'm a, a developer and freelancer. I have a SaaS application that I run called Remark uh, that helps freelancers and consultants deliver good-looking documents to their clients. And then, you know, like I said, outside of that, I do some consulting and freelance contract work here and there. So I'm going to ask this. I think I know some of the answers you're going to give, but you said good-looking documents. And I have to say that for the majority of my time as a freelancer, I have actually just either my document is like a quick email that I type out in Gmail, and so it's just text, or I'll send something along like I'll open up Pages or Word if you're on Windows and have Microsoft Office. And, you know, I'll just type something up, and it has kind of the default Arial font, and everything's well organized, but not necessarily very pretty. So you said pretty documents or nice looking documents. What do you mean by that? And why does that matter? What I mean by that is, you know, it's kind of like an enhanced version of what you might send with a Word document or a Pages document. Uh, you know, better looking header pages, uh, title pages, table of contents, uh, headers and footers on the document itself that kind of help you you know, know where you are within the document. And the biggest reason that I found to do that is that there's a big difference in the perceived value of the content as far as the client goes. And it was kind of surprising for me to realize that, but I realized that, you know, you can send somebody what is really good, valuable information, but if it's just in the body of an email, oh, it's that some stuff Jeremy told us in an email one time. But if it's presented in a way that makes it look like, you know, a legitimate report or a white paper or something that I've spent time putting together, uh, that just elevates the perception in the client's mind of the total value that's contained in that information, even if it's exactly the same information. I think it's funny, and it seems pretty obvious at this point to me, but I've talked to several people that do marketing uh, for SaaS products, for example. And people will come to the website and one will be as ugly as sin, but the product is easier to use, has more features, and it costs the same or less as the than the other product that is prettier, but is less featureful and less intuitive. And because it, it has more polish to it, a lot of these companies will buy into the less capable product because they feel like it's more professional and better thought out, even though it, it isn't necessarily the case. So the presentation does matter. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of think of it the same as like production values in a movie or a TV show. There are some good TV shows that have good content. They tell good stories, but they don't have big budgets. And so the production value is perceived to be low. And those have a harder time doing well than you know shows that have a good budget and that look like a slick, polished production. Yeah, I've heard the same thing about estimates or proposals where, you know, even though, you know, the price and the, the the number of features do make an impact, it also makes an impact as to how nice the proposal looks. 
Yeah, it does. And I think in some ways what it does is it just kind of demonstrates to the client that you do understand the importance of how things are seen. You know, especially if you're working for a company where you're going to be working on their public facing website or something like that, making it obvious to them that you can appreciate those kind of things, I think goes a long way in just kind of helping your case as a contractor that they might decide to work with. Right. And that, that was one of the things I wanted to, I mean, bring up also because I tend to deal much more with the sort of back end server side types of folks and then also with more engineers, say, than managers. Do you think that it makes a difference who you're working with or you think everyone, even if they don't admit it or say it, they would prefer to see a, a nicely formatted document? That's a really good question that I don't have any data to support. My guess is that there's probably some of both there. I would imagine that there are some people that are just you know, ruthlessly analytical and for whom good presentation could legitimately be an afterthought. But I think it's probably pretty hard to identify those people. And even so, you know, like you say, it may be that presentation does actually affect them, even though they don't want to admit that it does. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, let's say that you were sending them in an actual paper proposal and they're not going to smell the paper and feel the the thickness and quality of the paper and think, oh, wow, this guy is just on the ball. What they're going to do, it's all subconscious. It's like this is very well presented and they're going to react subconsciously to a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I've had comments from prospects when I've sent them proposals that I've prepared with Remark that, you know, they've said, wow, I can tell you've spent a lot of time on this. And, you know, to them, it, it shows that I'm taking it very seriously. And, you know, it's really a markdown document that I kind of threw together and then ran through a, a processor to make it look nice. It's funny, I guess, I mean, I'm I'm old enough that I remember when you know, WYSIWYG word processors and laser printers were the newest, coolest thing. And so for a while, <laughs> if if you used those, people said, whoa, that looks so amazing. How did you do that? And now, you know, anyone can use any font on any, you know, podunk machine and make it look amazing. But there's still a difference between, you know, having fancy fonts and a laser printer or just even an email and demonstrating that you sort of put some effort into it or making it easy to read. And my impression is at least that your product tries to go that extra mile as well. It's not just making it nice to look at, but, you know, as you said before, like puts in table of contents, makes it user-friendly, reader-friendly, shall we say. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've tried to do a lot to make it very user-friendly and, you know, use smart typographical defaults so that you've got reasonable line widths and line heights. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. Adding white space makes things feel more fancy, for lack of a better way to put it. So who uses your problem? Is it, is it really just for, like, you know, weekly reports or for proposals? Or Because when I think of report, I think of, oh, these people want, uh, I don't know, uh, database updates. You know, they, w- they want to be able to produce a daily update of their own. But that's not what you're talking about. No, this is this is going to be more uh, proposals, you know, monthly report on how your engagement's going with the client. Uh, I've had some people use it to generate lead magnets um, where they're taking, you know, several blog posts or articles, bundling those together and creating a little ebook out of them. Philip Morgan actually produced his book, The Positioning Manual for Technical Firms, uh, entirely with Remark, the whole book. Oh, wow. wow. Um, That's a, a nice little... Uh... I mean, his book came out very nicely and is very appreciated. So, and it looks really nice. I love having that one to be able to point to. (laughs) I'll bet. 
So what is it? What should we look for when we are putting these documents together? What what should we be doing with them? You mentioned typography. Let's just start there. Sure. So, you know, typography, most of what I did, oh man, I'm not even remembering the name of the website now. It was a site that just basically has a lot of intelligent defaults, you know, like you don't want your line links to be longer than 80 characters because that makes it hard to jump back down to the to the beginning of the next line. You want to have some amount of spacing between lines uh, to both give people room to make notes if they printed it and wanted to make notes on it. And it's easier on the eyes when you're when text isn't all crammed in there real close to each other. And then the next thing that I do to really kind of wow clients is just make sure that I've used their colors and any branding of theirs that I can in the document, I think makes it feel like it's more of an internal artifact than an external artifact. And in some ways, I think that lends credence to the content that's inside of it, if that makes sense. Do you use your own branding on it as well? Just a little bit, really not a lot. For the most part, I try to, you know, the, all the colors of the cover page and any accent colors, I try to do all of that in the client's branding just because it's a thing that I'm delivering to them for work that I would do on their behalf. So I don't know, that it's, it's worked fairly well for me to do it that way. And I also just don't have a, a big kind of internal brand of my own that I try to use everywhere. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of funny to me to use their colors. Like, I, I think I would just kind of feel kind of funny about doing it, but you seem to be indicating that they like that or they take to it or they're not offended. I've never had anybody be offended or say anything about that, that they didn't like it. And, you know, almost exactly the opposite. Almost everybody that I've sent something to that I've prepared that way, they've come back and specifically mentioned that, wow, this document looks really great, whether it's because it's their colors or other reasons that's hard to say, but. I think kind of all of those together kind of help. I can see that they might look at it and identify it as ours or mine, as opposed to, you know, yours or produced by you. And anyway, I I don't know that it's necessarily a huge deal, but I can definitely, you know, this is our document. It's, you know, it's a plan for us, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't know that it's a make or break thing at all, Mm -hmm. but it, it seems like one small little thing that, you can add with a bunch of other small little things to kind of demonstrate that you understand how to make them look good. Yeah. And there's no reason why you couldn't put, you know, at the bottom of the page in the footer or something, you know, produced by, you know, mycompany.com or whatever. And, and maybe with your little logo down there, it wouldn't hurt anything. And then they, you know, you do have the identification there if you really want it. Yeah, definitely. And I almost always have you know, my name and company name on the cover page itself, at least. Yep. So you have the typography, you have the colors. Um, what kind of spacing on the typography do you put in for, you know, do you go like one and a half spacing or double spaced or? I think the default for most of the styles that you can start with is double spacing. And then that's a user settable thing. If you get in there and decide that you want to adjust that a little bit, you can. Mm-hmm. Now, have you been iterating on these typographical uh, conventions? Uh, a little bit. The first document style that I put together uh, was just info that I had pulled from some typographical resources. And then I actually hired a, a designer to put together three additional uh, report styles that you know are a combination of good typography rules plus just getting a little designer eye on it. That's something I don't necessarily have. Right. And then, and then you just have the template and then you 
fill it in with your bulleted lists or numbered lists or paragraphs or whatever else, like you said, in Markdown. And it'll put it in and, and space it out the way that it needs to be spaced to look nice. Yep, exactly. Auto-generates a table of contents based on the headings that you have in the thing. So as long as you have reasonable information architecture within your document, then your table of contents comes out looking pretty good and giving people a good way to navigate into the document. Do, I mean, I, perhaps this is like a ridiculous question to ask, but do people really have weekly reports that require a table of contents? Are they that long? I don't know. Yes and no, I suppose. Some people definitely, you know, don't want to use the table of contents. And so they turn that off and don't use it. And then other people do like it. It, I think one of the things that has a big kind of perception difference when it's there or not. Mm-hmm. So who, who do you find? I mean, who is your SaaS aimed at? And who do you find are the most effective users or the, the happiest users of it? It's aimed at freelancers and consultants. The People that are, I think are the most happy with it are really people that already had largely a markdown-based workflow for a lot of their things that they do, but just didn't have one for deliverable documents. The service came about through a consulting mastermind group that I'm in where a bunch of people were griping about having to deal with Word or Pages and getting in and finding that an hour has gone by and they've gone down the rabbit hole of formatting the document instead of working on what the document says. And then I'm in that group with Philip Morgan, uh, and he actually was the one that requested, you know, I would love a markdown-based workflow that could give me a good-looking PDF on the other end, but I haven't been able to find anything that can do that. Um, so I just spent a little few hours one weekend kind of putting together a rough document and ask him, you know, is this in the neighborhood of good enough? And his response and a few other people in the chat room were, Hey, this is awesome. When can I start paying you for this? So that was kind of how, how a remark came about just trying to see if I could solve a problem for somebody and okay, then looks like I can. So how do you handle images, graphs, charts, that kind of stuff? If you want to put those in there, just regular uh, markdown image syntax. Uh, You just include an image in line and it gets pulled in and added into the page for some of the higher tier plans. There's also an ability to, instead of embedding an image like within a page inside of the paragraph boundaries, you can just insert an image as an entire page so that it's full bleed, you know, doesn't have the page number and headers or anything. It's just a full image within the document. Do you do videos at all? No, no. I don't think Markdown handles those either. So it's not you. Yeah. And well, you can export those to HTML, but I don't think PDFs carry the capability of, embedding yeah. a video. I, I know that there are like smarter media formats that will allow you to do that, but I don't think PDF is one of them. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Your final product is then like what you produce for people is PDF. Like it's input markdown, output PDF. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm really thinking about this. I, I am wondering a little bit though, is there any reason why I wouldn't be able to have like a really nice looking Word or Pages template that then I could just type into. I mean, Markdown is nice for a lot of things, but yeah, if if I was just going to do it some other way, it seems like I might be able to get away with just having a a really nice looking template. Yeah, sure, definitely. If you've got tools that work for you, I always advocate use what works. But if 
you don't like using Word or Mark or Pages or something and are looking for alternatives, I think Remark's a pretty good alternative, uh, especially for you know somewhat technical people who mm-hmm. understand Markdown and want to use it. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, I, I wrote my ebook using Markdown and in Emacs, uh, which I use for basically everything. And I was like, yeah, it's okay. And I still use Markdown for some things, but maybe I just need to sort of learn to master it better. It might be me and the tools that I'm using or my knowledge of those tools rather than Markdown itself. What system did you use to publish your book? Was it LeanPub well, or actually, something else? I actually, in the end, used a soft cover. I went through a few different sort of iterations and tried a few different things. And none of them was really amazing uh, in my book, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that really wasn't fun. I mean, in the end, I went with a soft cover, which has very – because basically that takes your markdown and turns it into tech. So you can do all sorts of amazing stuff, including like cross-references, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. But still, like, the raw writing of Markdown just struck me as a little annoying to deal with. Not the end of the world, but just a little annoying. Yeah, I've got a couple of uh, books in the works that are all being written with soft cover as well. So I'm just curious about what uh, made the Markdown authoring a little tough. Is that a factor of it being Markdown or, like, a factor of using kind of a text editor instead of a word processor? I'm guessing, because I've been using Emacs for a long time, like more than 20 years, so which I think counts as a long time. And, yeah. I'm, <laughs> and, and I'm guessing that it's just my knowledge of that mode, like of the Markdown mode, and sort of what Markdown can even do. Because I was like, well, I want this. Yeah, I, I did the basic stuff. I did the uh, you know, boldface and italic and links and then uh, blocks of code. And that's where it basically stopped. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing really fancier than that. And I just found it sort of awkward sometimes. In the end, I was sort of cutting and pasting. Like if I wanted a block of code, so I would cut and paste how I did the block of code, or I just remembered how to type it. Uh, and it just wasn't quite as automatic and quite as nice as I would have liked. But but again, I'm, I'm guessing that it was a matter of the tool ra- and me rather than Markdown's capabilities. Because every and and here it's I'm guessing that simply because so many people love Markdown so much that I figure it can't be me. Or I'm sorry, on the other hand, just the opposite. It must be me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, my my experience with Markdown is just that I haven't forced myself to use it on a regular enough basis to where it's a natural thing for me to write in. So like writing paragraphs, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I double enter and write another paragraph and that's fine. But like the bulleting syntax, sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, I didn't get that quite right. Or... Uh, you yeah. know, things like that. And, you know, there are more and more advanced capabilities in Markdown that I just, you know, I don't think about. And then as things go on, you know, I, I yeah, I, I've get been getting better at it. But yeah, it's just not a native thing for me where like, which is funny because I use Emacs as well. I'm not a big IDE person, but when it comes to word processing, a word processor makes a lot of that just more automatic. Yeah, I agree. It can be tough to edit prose in a text editor unless you have a good mode for doing that. Yeah. But the flip side is, is that I can definitely, I, I like representing data in Markdown. And so the ability to turn that from Markdown into, you know, a full on nice looking document, it just, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. So I, I am a little curious then <laughs> you can write an entire book with the system like this. Does the formatting change a bit? For the book versus doing something that's, you know, a few page document, either as a report or proposal or anything like that? Not significantly. The biggest changes between if you were going to do a short report and something on the level of a book uh, would probably just be some of the style settings that you choose mm-hmm. to use. 
you know, like for a book, you can have the system anytime it encounters an H1, it'll assume that that's a new chapter. And so give it a chapter title page. So it's, you know, instead of being a white page with black text on it, it's Mm -hmm. maybe a green page with white text that contains only the name of that chapter to kind of set it apart. Right. And, you know, if you're going to do a short report, that may be overkill. Maybe you don't need each section of the report being that heavily delineated. You know, you could tweak line height and uh, width if you are, you know, writing a book and want to get a little bit more content onto each page. Uh, versus a short report where you're maybe trying to pad it a little bit. Right. I, I do also want to ask, which, which font or fonts do you recommend? There's only a handful, maybe 10 or 12, that are built into the system uh, right now. And those were uh, choices that my designer made. Are, are there guidelines, though, for picking the right fonts? I mean, serif, sans serif, you know, there are other, you know, kerning, which I think is the spacing between characters and things like that. As far as serif or sans serif goes, it, I mean, I think there are people that make recommendations on that, but as near as I can tell, it's really just a matter of preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but some are more readable than others, right? So if you do it in a certain font versus another font, you know, it's going to flow better. People are going to be able to read and absorb the information out of it better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I think in general, a lot of people say that you should use sans serif for headlines and then serif for the body text. Uh, but I've seen that flipped backwards and I've seen people use both serif for headline and body or the other way. There seems to be a pretty wide variation on that. And do you use images to kind of enhance the message that you're putting forward with the proposal and things? So for example, if I were doing a proposal and I was going to say, um, we're going to build you a mobile app that has these features and blah, blah, blah. I mean, would it help me to put an image of an iPhone or an Android phone or something else in there? Or do you recommend that, you know, I mostly just have text in there? Uh, No, I think it's great to include images and other visual aids. You know, a lot of people are just kind of visual thinkers. And if you can put a picture in front of them, instead of asking them to imagine the picture, Mm -hmm. you're going to communicate your point to them a lot more easily. Right. So, yeah, I, I would say anywhere that is appropriate or, maybe even anywhere that's possible, you know, use an image to help reinforce a point. Now, Jeremy, how much do you sort of impose your style standards or ideas on the people using your system? And how much do you give them the chance to, if they really want to modify them? Like, let's say I think your line spacing ideas are totally crazy. Like I, I abhor white space, right? I want to, I don't want margins on my page. <laughs> Can I go crazy and, uh, and change that? Or are you going to like, force me into your little, uh, you know, totalitarianism, uh, style, uh, uh, typography system. Uh, no, you can, you can get in there and adjust that as much as you want. You can go down to, I don't, don't remember what the minimum is, but you can get pretty small margins on there. So you end up with just a big wall of text on the page. Oh, excellent. excellent. I, I, like I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to get people to go, Oh, I have to read this whole thing. <laughs> Well, and, and what has that done? So, like, I enter the markdown, and it goes through your system, and then, like, how does it then happen? Like, how how is the, how are the changes made, or is it made in the style sheet? Yeah, so there's a basically a style area where you can pick any of the default styles that are built in and then duplicate those and start making changes. And then when you go to produce a document, you choose which style you want to have associated with that document. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, then once you've got a style set up, you can reuse that for all sorts of 
you know, if you're going to produce a series of lead magnets based on some of your old blog content, you know, you have a reproducible pipeline where you just send the document through and they all come out looking the same. Got it. Now, do you recommend any kind of like horizontal rules between content? Um, of course, that's a web term, but I guess it's a formatting term. I'm talking about a line that goes all the way across or part of the way across to delineate a new section. Uh, yeah, I think that can be helpful. You know, you probably don't want to overuse them. And if you're going to be doing a longer document, you know, section title pages between may be better than horizontal rules. But I think they have their place. Yeah, I'm kind of envisioning, I guess, something like so so most of my proposals I've kind of adopted some of the style of some of the some of our past guests and some of the things recommended by Jonathan and so in a lot of cases I give them a proposal that actually has uh, several pro- proposals in it and so it's yep here's proposal number 1 which is the least featureful one kind of what I understood is the minimum viable offering I can give them and mm-hmm. then you know number 2 and number 3 and so it does occur to me that, yeah, those could all be on separate pages. But in some cases, the yeah, proposal is proposal A plus this, 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 and this. And then, you know, the other one is proposal A plus this stuff out of B and this other stuff. Yep. And so, yeah, it seems like a horizontal rule there could be nice. But it does also occur to me that I might want to just put it on the same page. Yeah, Uh Put them on the same page with maybe or, a, or you know, like an H two in between them. Yep. Option number one, option number two. Yeah. Um, or on separate pages, depending on how much text there is to each one. Yep. The other thing I'm wondering about is, do you put any other kinds of uh, decoration on the page? So, like page numbers, for example, or I've seen documents where they have like some kind of border or something between the header and the the main body of the page. So it's kind of like a decorative thing at the top of each page or something like that? Yeah, some of the template styles have, you know, like a header that's going to include the current chapter title uh, up in the header, as well as, yeah, kind of a flourish like you're describing, just little decorative, you know, like like a line that runs across the top of the header with, mm-hmm. that then drops down on the side of it. I think most of them include page numbers on the bottom of the page, and the settings are such that if you decide you don't want those, you can make those go away. Yeah, and then the white space. It seems like uh, white space does make things easier to read. I mean, you don't want like single space versus double space. Double space is easier to read most of the time. But around bulleted lists and things like that, it seems like sometimes I want them to be close together because then people can kind of they they kind of group it together better that way. But then at other times, uh, those bullet points you know are kind of standalone things. For example, if I'm proposing an application that has several features to it, to it. Uh-huh. Um, you know some of those features will group together nicely. So I might want those bullets closer together than others. Uh, how do you make those determinations? At this point, there's really not a way to get that fine grained with you know say two different bulleted lists within the same document. But you could potentially, the ones that you want grouped closer together, you could make those actually all one bulleted list. Mm -hmm. And then for the ones that you want a little more space between, I think if you just include a blank line between each item, Markdown is going to see those as separate bulleted lists, and you'll end up with a little extra space there. Yeah, and you can actually put headers on those, or you can also indent Mm -hmm. with with Markdown and with other systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that does occur to me. Where should you break up the content into separate pages? For the most part, I just let 
the document flow do that. I don't try to worry too much about, you know, enforcing a page break. Mm -hmm. uh, really the only times that I find that doesn't work is if you, you know, end up with an image and then some text that's referring to that image, you often are going to want those to appear on the same page just so right. it's easy to refer back and forth. And in those cases, you can include a, a new page command that will force, you know, a page break to let you get things how you want it. But for the most part, you know, that's kind of one of the things that Remark is aimed at getting out of what you have to deal with when you're dealing with Word or Pages or something. It's always very apparent as you're working on the document how it's going to be paged. And, you know, for the most part, that's something that you probably don't care about at all. And if you do care about it, you probably only care about it as a final publishing step. And you don't need to worry about it when your document is a work in progress, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious about the, the nitty gritty behind the scenes. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're obviously an experienced developer, but tight. I mean, I, I was uh, the editor of my student newspaper and we were all big typography nerds and getting it right is really hard. And yet you've managed to like make a lot of people happy, both as your direct clients, you know, customers and the people they're serving and making it look nice. So when I input Markdown, can you give me a sort of and, and you know, between the entering Markdown and getting the PDF, can you give me a sort of rundown of how you're doing this? Yeah, sure. So there's a tool called Pandoc that I'm using on the back end that basically you can give it a Markdown document and then a LaTeX template and it will basically convert from Markdown to LaTeX and then from LaTeX to PDF. Mm -hmm. That's simpler than I expected. Yeah. It, it <laughs> Not to belittle simple. your work for however many years, but... No, no, no. It, I mean, it, it does. It sounds very simple until you start diving into LaTeX and then you realize, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, LaTeX does everything, doesn't it? It's very powerful, but man, it's a crazy language. By the way, if you're listening to this and you want to go look up LaTeX later... Do a Google search for latex. It's spelled the same way, uh, right. with some capitalization. <laughs> so, uh, and then document. If you do a search for latex, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. But it's yeah. L A T E X, and then document, and you'll find it. Um, can I ask you a little bit about the the business side of things? I mean, I know we're winding down in terms of time. Like, sure uh, so you described the genesis of this uh, SaaS product. How much of this? proportionally uh, in terms of your time do you work on as opposed to client stuff? And is your aim to just do Remark and other SaaS projects? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on a trajectory where I would like to get to being more of a product-focused person than a consultant, but I'm not there yet. You know, at this point, Remark will pay my mortgage every month, but not all of the rest of my expenses that I have. Uh, so it's off to a good start. Not Not there yet that I can spend full time on it. How long have you been doing it for? Uh, launched in February. Okay, February two. We're now, you know, at the end of September to pay your home mortgage every month. Not too terrible. Not too shabby. Yeah, not bad at all. I can't complain a bit. Are your customers happy to give you uh, feedback, suggestions for how to improve it? Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of good suggestions from people. You know, a few of them I've already started working on because they've come from enough people that you know it seems like it's worth doing. And then there are a few other suggestions that I'm kind of have on the back burner and trying to run by new customers to, you know, see how it fits in with what they might want to do. So I make sure that something I work on is going to be broadly applicable and not just one person's pet gripe. So like, what's with it? Can you give us an example of one or two things that are coming down the pike in the near future? Yeah, sure. Uh, one that I already have 
uh, in progress that a few people are beta testing for me is Dropbox integration. So you basically have a remark folder inside of your Dropbox folder. And anytime that remark notices a new markdown document show up there, it'll grab it, run it through the, the processor, and then stick a PDF back in your Dropbox right next to it. Oh, wow. And, and then anytime, That's that, pretty snazzy. anytime you update that markdown document, same thing happens. You get a new version of the PDF right next to it. And that's that, slick. I, yeah, I think that's been working really well for the people that have been testing it. Uh, at this point, I just kind of need to make the interface for it a little nicer. Uh, right now, it's literally the stupidest, simplest thing that I could get to work. But I think it does an all right job. Just needs polished up a bit. And then uh, kind of along the same lines, I've also been working on a Zapier integration uh, to allow people to you know, hook up Remark to kind of be in the middle of a pipeline. And how have you marketed uh, Remark so far? Poorly <laughs> is, <laughs> is the main answer. Uh, it's mainly been word of mouth, some blog posts here and there. Some I've done a couple of podcasts. I'm trying to get better at that. That's one of my kind of personal goals with Remark is uh, figure out how to get out of being a developer and more into the marketing side of things. So I think I have that thing that a lot of developers have where, you know, when I find time to work on Remark, it's awfully easy for me to sit down and look at the bug list and go, hey, I can fix these things uh, instead of looking at how can I drive more people to the thing. Uh, so that's something that I'm really consciously trying to get better at. Very neat. I don't know if, if this is poor marketing. I, I, I'm almost afraid to think of how you're going to do when, when when you do good marketing. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was lucky that it I think it hit a nerve with a good nice core group of people that uh really helped it get off the ground quick. Yep. I mean, look, perhaps perhaps it's not a coincidence that you're in a mastermind with Philip Morgan and everything, but it's interesting to me that you're not targeting anyone who wants to do reports or documents. It's very clear like developers who want to report to their clients. So you're dealing with a a relatively technical crowd. As opposed to, and you know, you're not saying we're going to replace Word. You know, Remark is not to replace Word. Nope, or no not chance. For, not not for the bulk of the population, right? Now, it's a specialized tool that needs a specialized audience. Yep. All right. Well, I don't know if I have any other questions or anything else to bring up. Do you want to give us just a brief, let people know where they can go get Remark and how people can follow you, and then we'll get to the picks. So the the website is Remark.io. Remark is spelled with a Q, R-E-M-A-R-Q dot I-O. And then if you go to remark.io slash freelancers, uh, I have a special offer for listeners of the Freelancer Show where if you sign up from that page, you'll get a 25% discount. Woo! Yeah, everybody loves discounts, right? Very cool. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and get some picks. Ruben, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So I think I've mentioned in the past that I really like the uh, Planet Money podcast from NPR. And they recently had three episodes, all of which I think were interesting and talked about marketing in different ways. So first of all, uh, and I'll, I'll put links to this in the show notes, obviously, but episode 650, what they call it the scariest thing in Hollywood, uh, was all about this guy who basically treats movie producing like venture capital, where he puts a little bit of money into a lot of different uh, movies. And says, basically, maybe they'll fail, maybe they won't. I don't really care. I want to get a big return. 
And he's very strict about his budgeting. And I saw that as, in some ways, similar to the idea of these simple, small uh, content sites or sites that we can put up that, you know, Kurt Elster has talked about, where you put together, if it works, great. If not, move on to the next thing. The the next one that I really enjoyed was the next one that was 651, The Salmon Taboo. Those of us who like sushi often have salmon sushi. And apparently, it, this was anathema in Japan for a long, long time. No one had salmon sushi. That was considered disgusting and weird. And it was this huge marketing campaign by, who else, the Norwegian you know, salmon fishermen to try to get salmon sushi to work. And it took like 20 years. But when they finally did it, it was because they sort of outgrew the older generation. The newer generation saw it as new. And I thought it was a fascinating insight into uh, how marketing could work. And the third one I want to mention is what they call the anti-store about Price Club and Costco and other places where they say, we won't let you buy from us unless you first pay a membership fee. And then basically people say, oh, well, I've already spent this $50 to join. So really, I should buy a lot of stuff to make up for that $50 because like, otherwise I've thrown the $50 away, right? Like I was victim to that, and I'm sure many others were. Not that I have anything against Costco or Amazon Prime or any of these other things, but I thought it was a, a very clever uh, way to get insight into if you push people away a little bit, um, they actually want in even more. Case in point, Bernie Madoff, but perhaps that's a bad example of, <laughs> of how people take advantage of this. Anyway, I thought that all three were interesting. I'll put them in the show notes for people to uh, listen to and enjoy. That's funny. I listened to that episode about Costco this morning. So... And yeah, the other two were really, really fascinating as well. I've got a couple of picks. As, me, as some of you may or may not know, I just got done with Angular Remote Conf. And that's an online conference for Angular developers. And it was a resounding success. There were a few minor glitches. My internet went out during one of the talks where I was actually asking the project manager for the Angular project questions. And then I would disappear. But other than that, it went off really well. So I'm going to pick a few of the things that we use to run that stuff. One is Stripe, the Stripe.com. I wouldn't be shocked, actually, if Remark uses Stripe. I don't know if you do or if you use Braintree or one of the others. But I really like Stripe. Uh, the other one that uh, we used was Crowdcast. And that's Crowdcast.io. Uh, that's also what, incidentally, we've been using for our uh, freelancers Q&As. And it's pretty darn awesome. So I'm going to pick both of those. Jeremy, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I do. My first one is, I think, something that's been one of your picks before, probably. Uh, Calendly helps me schedule meetings for clients. Uh, basically, just lets them pick a time on my calendar that is open that's going to work for them. Saves a lot on back and forth. And, you know, will this time work for you? No, that's no good. How about this one? I really like that. And then the other one is a book coming out soon called The Traffic Manual from my friend Kai Davis. It's in pre-order right now. I've had a sneak peek at it. It's really good. He really knows this stuff. I think it's going to be a great book when it comes out. Kai, I want a copy if you're listening. I bet he can manage something for you. Yeah, he's uh, he's been on the show before, and uh, I got to meet him in person at, at uh, MicroConf. It was awesome. Friend of the show. That's right. I think Kai is a friend of almost everybody. I was going to say friend of me nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jeremy, one more time. If people want to uh, reach out to you or get that discount, what should they do? Yeah. So if they want to hit me up directly uh, on Twitter, I am Jag the Drummer. And uh, if they want to get the discount for the Freelancer Show on Remark, it's just remark.io slash freelancers or freelancers show. Either one will get you to the right place. And yeah, at the top of that page, you should see a banner that says you're getting a 25% discount. 
All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks again, Jeremy, and we'll catch everyone next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. 